Welcome to Top Deck Insight, our podcast on everything Magic the Gathering. I am joined today by my co-hosts Josh and Sarah, and before we get into the episode, I would just like to make a quick mention that if you would like to support our work and what we're doing, the best way you can do that right now is to follow us at Top Deck Insight on Twitter, and just spread the word. If you have any experience playing Magic the Gathering or know anybody that vaguely likes the game, just let them know, because this podcast is for anyone and everyone. Now, let's get right into this episode. Now, I don't really feel like I've played much Magic. No. The last couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. Since the last episode. I don't think I have either, aside from Friday night, mm. um, which we've had two sessions of, which is That's you know, still, yeah. still a fair amount. I think maybe we might be in a place with Magic, The uh, I guess the mid-season lull. Okay, um, yeah. Where, you know, a new set's come out, Kaldheim is sort of settling. The meta is settling in all formats, and there's kind of a bit of a drop in uh, in anticipation, in, like excitement and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, because we're, spoiler we're season starts. Spoiler season for the next season starts about a month before it comes out. So now mm. that we're a month into Caldheim, we have that month in the middle mm. waiting. Not a long time though. People should be happier about stuff for longer than four weeks. <laughs> it's because <laughs> they spoil us with a new set yeah, every three I mean. months. Like it's not. Yeah. I don't think it's long enough. I know. It's weird. There are some, like, Wizards do a pretty good job of trying to keep things fresh. Mm -hmm. Um, There has been magic news. There was the uh, Strixhaven March qualifier weekend, Mm -hmm. which is a standard tournament played on Arena where the people in Rivals, the pros, all go up against each other. Um, That was interesting. I did watch some of that. I Mm -hmm. I like to watch pros play, and I I find it pretty interesting to, to watch and uh, it's sort of a monthly thing now, uh, mm. so I don't really understand how all of the pro leagues work. It's no longer called the MPL, the Magic Pro oh, League. Oh, okay. I, I was wondering what that. Yeah. It's. I think it's now called Rivals. Right. Um. And do you know what? I have. I don't know how it all works, <laughs> but um, once a month, I think, at the towards the beginning of the month, they have a like a standard tournament with mm. all of the rivals, who, who sort of go head to head. I've always wondered how it works in terms of like being a professional magic player. Mm. Like, do you just have to be good? <laughs> how do you mean? Like, as in, say, I mean, say for one season you got to Mythic. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's like the Mythic qualifiers and stuff. But like, in terms of these tournaments where it's like strictly professionals, how do they pick that? What if there's like a, you know, a young prodigy who. Are you talking about yourself? No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I haven't made it to Mythic yet. But, um, you did at one point. I did at one point. one point. I was in Mythic at one point. I actually made it to number 200 on the ladder, which was really good. That's yeah. pretty I was cool. really happy about that. But yeah, since then, I haven't tried as hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, all I, all I mean is like how anyone can play Magic Arena. Anyone, I feel like that's all the resource you need to, if, if you were to like become really good at the game. Mm-hmm. Do you get it's scouted a, like in sports? That's what I'm, that's what I, that's the thing. People like, watch and then they go, oh, you're is it, is it just like sponsored players that play in the events? Well, people or? play on teams, don't they? Yeah. So do you play on a team first and then you get noticed because you go to exactly, team yeah. events? So I believe that teams are more about content creation platforms. Mm. So you join a team and maybe they can give you some degree of stability and security but then you have other responsibilities in that team. So you, you would test together and you would try and win because uh, I, I don't know exactly how team sponsorships work. But often uh, when people are a member of a team, they write for that team. 
uh, or they create content. Right. For yeah, that, team. that makes sense. Yeah. If you were say an, a young unknown, well, you don't have to be young, but uh, a new to the game unknown Magic player, and you wanted to go pro, easiest way to do it right now would be to either play Arena or MTG Online and win the the, the tournaments. Mm -hmm. Um, Arena has opens all the time, winning those opens, which yeah. uh, have been sealed the last couple, or just ending a season in the top 1200. Uh, the top 1200 mythic each season go through to a qualifier weekend, which allows them, if they win, to go through to, I think, day two of the qualifier, which yeah. then you win and then you go through to another qualifier. Uh, and then you would actually be playing in rivals. So. Yeah, if you're really good at magic, you probably would go in through that route. And actually, I think that... I, I know it used to be different. It used to work on, like, DCI, and you would accrue MPL points mm. through the year, and that would allow you to qualify for big tournaments. I think it's changed. I don't really strictly understand that. And honestly, I don't think many people do. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a... Because I always think, like I at the end of the day, I feel like... You know, obviously, in, in professional sports, you have to pretty much work your whole life for it. Hmm. Like, like, if you want to be, like, a professional boxer, you, you kind of have to be boxing from, like, a young age. Or, like, with chess as well. Most grandmasters are child prodigies. Hmm. And, like, they've been playing chess since they were, like, four. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it. I feel like magic is so much more accessible, but also not to become, like, professional, hmm. if you know what I mean. A lot of these guys at the very top do commit their lives to it. Yeah. Like, some of the old-school pros have spent their whole lives playing uh, and then you got people like um so ben stark's an interesting example he's really good at magic mm. um old school player uh it was probably i don't know when he was in his prime i want to say it was probably around like 2013 ish okay. when he was at, at his peak performance in magic but he still plays now uh and even now he plays like he he considers himself a pro magic player and he plays poker to make ends meet in between um, very interesting. Such a which cool is, lifestyle. Yeah, which is very interesting. <laughs> like, awesome. he, he considers himself a pro magic player, but if he needs cash, if he needs a steady income, then he just, just plays poker. No That's one's ever cool. said, if I need a steady income, I'll just play poker. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> and uh, and so he, he does, in a way, dedicate his life to magic because I think we were having this discussion earlier, Sarah. Some of the uh, skills that you need to have in high-level poker translate well to very high level magic like reading your opponent and bluffing and considering what information you're giving and what information you're getting mm. and that kind of thing probably more important in paper magic over a table rather than on arena where you can't see your opponent's yes. face mm -hmm. but in that sense you know even just playing poker ben is practicing those skills and then you've got like seth manfield another current playing professional magic player mm -hmm. So Seth's arena name is Egdirb, E-G-D-I-R-B. Right. Which is a little bit weird. Uh, <laughs> bridge as backwards. But it's bridge backwards, yeah. that's right. Uh, because him and his family are all really, really uh, passionate bridge players. Uh -huh. uh, and so, you know, th these are two guys who, who have been playing games since childhood. Yeah. Uh, maybe not Magic. Uh, but have been playing games since childhood. And then you got sort of, I'm going to say up-and-comers, and, -comers, and I, I'm, I'm going to use Crokies as one example, even though he's not a pro player, mm -hmm. but also Chris Kavartek. Well, he does play for a team, though. That's, he plays for F2K. I thought he streamed for F2K. I think he... 
but he, I think he has been represented in it. I remember watching him in a tournament, mm. at least last year, I think MPL, yeah. and he was playing under F2K. I'm not sure if, I'm pretty yeah. sure, I don't know. I think you could Maybe say, Navi. I think you could say that in, in a way he is a magic player professionally because it is his profession yeah he, he plays magic and that is and his that profession is his but he, he is more about entertainment yeah uh, as well as being good uh, and i don't think that uh, I, I just don't I, I don't know i'm not i'm not sure how i would define the difference between a true and magic professional mm. and someone like croquis so what do you guys think are the mechanics like the the core mechanics that you have to be really good at, or or that you want to improve to improve your play your your magic in magic. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the mechanics that I would say is important to magic uh, or to that kind of game is thinking ahead, uh, thinking about what you what information you've got now and how the game is going to go. I think that another mechanic you need to practice to be good at magic is money. <laughs> yeah, I guess being being, being rich. rich. Or yeah. being rich just being willing to spend all of your money yeah, on magic like cards. Three hundred pounds per collection on arena is yeah. like the average, which is like to what? complete all the rares every set. Like I, I, I saw, I keep talking about croquis, but I saw him tweet about how just just to be good at magic, you just got to pay three hundred pounds in gems every set. Be like me. That's insane. Yeah, and I was like, that's you can't that's... put just followed by 300 yeah obviously like that's that's if you like want to instantly get the whole collection so it was obviously a bit of hyperbole because you can complete collections by like winning drafts and, mm -hmm. and mainly just drafting rare drafting and stuff and that is another strategy to it but yeah like it it is a very expensive game to be good at as well with yes. arena. well that's why i am strongly considering switching over to mtg online because mm -hmm. um, you can just trade and buy your collections there is a, a subscription fee to mtg online right and i think that's way better i would rather I have a subscription well. fee and then you actually get access to decent features than just here's the arena client mm. Uh, and you can do like you there you, you there are limited game modes it's hard to get cards and you have to spend a ton of money to get all your cards yeah like the fact that you have to even spend money to draft obviously that kind of makes sense but you shouldn't have to spend 1500 gems to draft or mm. 10,000 coins to draft yeah like that's one draft and then it, it, I don't know I think with yeah with MTG online it, it arena has all the flashy things you know yeah I don't want to play MTG online I know that's the thing I I've, I've tried to get into MG Online as well, but I didn't want to pay straight away because yeah. I didn't know what was How going on with it. How much is it? Not much. It's not much. It'll be like... I think it's like five ninety nine a month. I, I'm, but then I'm you have to guessing. buy all the cards as well, right? Yes, then you have to buy all your cards. But it's a lot cheaper on MTG Online. Mm. Uh, MTG Online is a lot cheaper than paper, and you can directly buy the cards you want, as opposed to Arena, where you can only buy packs, cannot buy yeah, singles. You can't, mm. Yeah, you can't buy singles. Oh, so you can buy good. singles. You have access to eternal formats like Pauper. Mm -hmm. It's Pauper on MTGO. Um, okay. There's like vintage draft, which looks a lot of fun. Yeah. Because you're just drafting with the most overpowered cards, it looks hilariously yeah. fun. Uh, but yeah, like Arena just. Arena is the client that's. They only, they only like. They're motivated more by money in mm -hmm. the way they release game modes. Like they haven't released like historic Brawl because they want people to play Brawl more. Yeah. For example. Well, they obviously they, they seasonally release historic brawl, but they haven't made it into a permanent game mode, I don't think, and I don't think they will simply because it will be one less way, one less reason for people to buy current packs. Yeah, 
And there's no reason not to. Mm. There, there is no reason not to just leave. Brawl, historic, standard, mm-hmm. one player, three player, four player. Like these are all things that they could incorporate into the game if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But by keeping it, you know, I, I think lacking on features, they uh, make it so that no matter how people play it, they, you can really only play Arena a certain number of ways. Mm-hmm. And that certain number of ways means you maximize the amount of money that you spend on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those things where nothing really challenges Arena as well. Mm-hmm. Nothing sort of compares to Magic at the moment. So I was on r slash spikes earlier this week and I saw somebody ask, how do you practice the skills that help you be better at Magic? And one of the answers was, just take a break from Magic, go play poker for a bit. Hmm. Uh, and I wanted to talk about this. I find this quite interesting that at the very higher high level how uh, high levels of magic, like if you know how to play your deck optimally and you're playing against opponent, opponents who know how to play their decks optimally, then what more is there to the game? Well, the answer to that is playing your opponent and that's a, a, a is a poker concept. In poker, you're not playing the cards. You're playing your opponent. Okay. Um, and actually, maybe less so in online magic, but in over-the-table paper magic, this is a, a really important concept uh, that pro players need to consider. They need to think about not only the information that they know, but the information that their opponents know. Uh, and that's something that I think a, a decent player already does. You can already, like, I, I can already um, take stock of the information I have and the information my opponent has. But uh, the step further than that is to think about the information that you're going to give your opponent and how they're going to use it. And one of the players who is really, really good at this is Seth Manfield. He's really good at getting in the opponent's head and taking that thought processing one step further mm-hmm. uh, and thinking about, well, my opponent knows this information. If I play in this way, if I make this this odd play, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense now, then they're going to they're gonna they're gonna if they're playing well, which all of his opponents probably are, they're gonna make this play if they have it. And if they do that, then I'm winning. Uh, you know, I, I can make this play. And and he's he, so, so you're sort of falsifying the information, uh, turning the assumption around. You're you're not playing your deck optimally to goad your opponent into. Right playing differently so the the only thing I, I i have to bring up about this is that idea of say there's two like magic bots and they're both like, like it's like chess bots mm-hmm. right if they're two magic bots but they're playing different decks which one wins mm-hmm. because they're both playing completely 100 percent accurately mm-hmm. how does it how does that like it comes down to the deck matchup right yeah and what's yeah. what's whatever it comes down to luck really but then when you do translate that to an open-handed game like chess mm-hmm. for example what is it that makes a gm be another gm like they're both masters of their craft yeah. obviously they're not exactly the same skill level one's going to be slightly smarter than the other but at that top level when they're both playing so optimally how do they they like you can see everything your opponent does mm-hmm. like it's completely open mm-hmm. and it's hard to it's hard to bluff in chess you can't be like i'm gonna sack this piece i wonder why kind of thing <laughs> yeah like it's, it's really, all known information it's, it's all information that you can easily figure out and it comes it boils down to the point of like where does that opti- optimal line drop mm. if that makes sense like how, how how optimal do you need to be at magic to then start thinking about hmm 
I should I should just start playing my opponent. It, it's really yeah. difficult. It is. It um, is really difficult. Because yeah, with with like professional chess matches, the the way they they pull advantage over the other is I mean, most of the time it, it comes down to like time pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in in like a like like ha- what happens when you have like two professional chess players, two grandmasters that come against each other with with enough time, and they're just playing every move accurately. Like it, it comes down to literally one inaccuracy, yeah. and then the other person has the advantage. And it it, it, it just feels it just it's weird how it translates into like a, a close-handed game mm-hmm. where you can't see what your opponent does, and it's all it's all about the mind games and and all of those things. It's yeah, it's just it's just an interesting thing I thought I'd bring up because it's yeah you can't you can't as easily mind game your a chess opponent. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Nor do I. Let's talk about let's talk about Strixhaven. Um, what more is that? Is there more? Is there more to talk about? No. Let's talk about okay. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay. That's what I meant. That's what yeah. I meant. Okay. <laughs> so I've been thinking about the Lord of the Rings set mm-hmm. uh, and and the crossovers in general. And on I'm just trying to be a bit more positive about it. Okay. What wizards could do that I actually would be interested in that I think would be really cool. Right. Some of the ideas uh, that I think would be cool, and I was wondering whether you guys had thought about uh, anything. Okay. So, irrespective of what they end up doing, whether it's like a whole Lord of the Rings set or a Middle Earth themed set with a Lord of the Rings like artwork, old artwork, like they did in uh, Ikoria for mm-hmm. Godzilla, or it's like a secret lair, whatever. What cards or things would I like to see that would be quite cool? So one idea, which I think would be pretty neat and would be a cool addition to standard, actually. They're not uh, going to be standard legal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is, uh, do we know that? Mm-hmm. It is a full set, no reprints, not standard legal. Okay. Full set, no reprints. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> that changed your whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this as well. Is I don't think it's... Yeah, of course, it would definitely not be standard legal because then it had to come out, like, next quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there won't be. It'll be completely. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Because it's a new product. Yeah. It, universe, beyond the universe, or something like that. It's a new magic product. Right. So this is going to happen, with. Wait, what do you mean? With the Warhammer. So it's one. a new thing they're launching. Hmm. Warhammer is the other one, yeah. but it's going to be a continued thing. It's not just these two. This is a new magic product. Yeah, this is. Now. I think Hasbro mean? mentioned it. Um, Hasbro mentioned they were like, splitting their division with like let me see if Dungeons I can find... and Dragons and Magic. Right, so it's it's a new Wizards of the Coast product. Yeah, it's a new Wizards Universe. I think so. It's Uni- not Magic the Gathering. Universe is, but it's for Magic the Gathering. Universe is yeah, beyond. It's, it's a new Magic the Gathering like, product. It's like the crossover with like other D&D. Than, what what's can you give me some other Magic the Gathering? Okay, maybe products? not product, but uh, I don't know what what whatever a secret layer is. What what would you call a secret layer? Waste of money. Yes, <laughs> it's correct. a it's a it's a series. <laughs> Uh, it's a right. different series. Okay, all I right. Think. Okay, so it's like a new... So that you've got, I think like... product is right, though, because it's not going to be standard yeah, legal. Like, yeah, so you've got, like... Okay, yeah. Like, I think like I, Secret I Lair is a, is a product Secret they Lairs, do, and, yeah. like... Uh, Commander Dex. Yeah, like Commander like Commander 20. Yeah, everything Commander in Magic is Charm a magic Dex. product. Yeah, okay. This is a new magic product called Universes Beyond, or something like that. I see. Which is going to cross over to multiple different things. Lord of the Rings and Warhammer are the first two. Okay, got it. That makes sense. And that's good. I think that, that would be a good thing. I don't know. Mm. I'm still. I'm so. I personally am iffy on the whole 
crossover just because to me the way I imagined this idea came up was some Hasbro employee or Wizards employee executive was like hey you know what these nerds will like more <laughs> nerdy things let's add some loads of nerdy things into this nerdy game it's hard yeah. to get you know away I mean? from the money grabbing aspect yeah. of it they'll be like oh these nerds will, will, will be crying over this and oh they're gonna spend so much money on this new nerdy stuff that's what it felt like <laughs> to me I think that it's more likely hey people who like Lord of the Rings and nerds right can we get them to buy our stuff mm-hmm can we can we get that money from yeah. them? Yeah, that's what Sammy's no. saying. No, Sa- Sammy, Sammy's saying, <laughs> hey, Magic the Gathering players. Sammy gave a modicum of consideration to Magic the Gathering players and what they might like. I think right. it's more like, can we get Lord of the Rings fans to buy Magic? Either way, it's a way to make money, which Wizards of the Coast are a company. They do have to make money. Mm-hmm. They don't have to prioritise it. But focusing on the positives, yeah. <laughs> have you guys thought at all about some of the things you might like to see in a sort of Lord of the Rings crossover that you think would be cool? I mean, if it's going to be an entire set, I feel like they're going to include everything sort of mainstream about Lord of the Rings. Well, not mainstream, but like everything that people know about Lord. Of the Rings. They're going to have like a Gandalf card, and they're going to have yeah. like a, yeah. a smile card and stuff, and hobbits and all that. They're going to have tree. People, whatever it, it will so be. Tr- tree folk might get some cool stuff. That would be neat. Um, I don't think that we'll see hobbits. I think they'll be kithkin. Right. Do you think? So do you think they're going to incorporate this into a competitive, like like could the cards be competitively played, unlike the Walking Dead cards? That I would think so. Mm-hmm. I would think so uh, because like I don't think they would print an entire set which you could draft or play within the set, but wasn't legal in any other format. Um, it could be that they go straight to Commander, I guess, like the Walking Dead secret lair did, but I don't, I don't think that's it. Mm-hmm. I think these are probably going to be um, a, like playable in, in modern and pauper and stuff. I was going to say, because how, how do you draw the line of... You know how we're having that like whole conversation Legends. of the, the, the team of people who play a set in advance to judge its power level mm-hmm. and how terrible they are. <laughs> but how do they, what do they decide with this set? Do they, do they even do a power level check? Cause what, what format do they play in? Judge yeah. the power level for? They do because at every stage of delivering a magic product, you should be considering the impact that it has on how fun the game is to play. And so, yeah, they absolutely do test it. Cause with the walking dead ones, did they get added to commander? Are those commander legal? Those are commander they are, legal. yeah. They are. So weird. Mm-hmm. But that was only like, what, five cards? Yeah, this five, is a whole set. Is, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so this is, it's going to skip standard, I'm sure. Um, but it will be legal in, legal in other formats, like mm-hmm. maybe Pioneer. And I don't know if it will hit historic, to be honest. Maybe like Legacy. In Arena. And stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll, we will see. Uh, like, so I don't know whether it would be like Brawl and Historic Legal. I, I'm not sure what the plan is, but I, I think that they'll be playable. If they brought it to Historic, that would bring a whole lot of attention to Arena, because that's an Arena-only format. So that would be yeah. a good move by them to bring no, it to No new player who likes Lord of the Rings would pick up Arena and spend £300 to get all the Lord of the Rings cards. But then... But a Magic player, if, if, Yeah. If, you, if you're a Lord, Lord of the Rings, of the Rings fan and you're not willing to spend money, then what's... Who, who is this product targeted at? Well, they might buy a Lord of the Rings deck for 40, 50 bucks. Right. But they're not going to rinse. Like, you can't even... But what, what are they going to buy that deck for? 
Yeah, but they're not a magic player. They're not going to buy the deck just to look at it. I mean, I they suppose could. there's a small amount of people. people yeah. Yeah. There is but, people that would do that, but... <laughs> you know, I, I think it would make sense for them to bring it to a historic. That would get people wanting to play. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that would be a good move for them, like money-wise. <laughs> what would you guys like to see from this set that would actually be pretty cool? I think that something like... So if there were a Gandalf card... Mm -hmm. What could that be? Not <laughs> would, be would Gandalf be blue? I mean, it has to be, right? He's why, a... why does it have to be? Because wizards are blue. Because he's a wizard. He's a wizard. He he's fairly peaceful. He's not like an aggressive red wizard. Mm. He's mm. more of a defensive. You know, you shall not pass. You shall not play the game. Type wizard. Yeah. <laughs> I think he could be an Esper wizard. Maybe. Gandalf as an Esper commander would be cool. Possibly, yeah. I Countless I think if, I think if anything action. he would be blue white. That seems to fit more, I think. Mm. That sort of that kind of uh justice sort of That's more Boros, but like but like that sort of good guy kind of yeah. vibe. I don't know. But he doesn't stick to the rules, Gandalf. He's mm. kind of a bit of a rebel. Is he a bit yeah. of a bad boy? He's a bit of a, yeah, don't you think he's got that sexy bad boy vibe going on? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that just me? I think so. <laughs> I think you've read a fan fiction. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I would call him a bad boy. Would you, would, what did he do in the films that's rebellious in nature? Well... I guess nothing. Like he he has no not not he didn't do anything rebellious. He's rebellious by doing nothing most of the time. Like he kind of but he doesn't ignores the rules. Uh yeah because the rules were set by the guy who sided with the Sauron. Exactly. The Sauron, evil is, yeah, Sauron so is the institution and the institu Azorius are the institution. He, so. Sauron is not Azorius. <laughs> Sauron is an evil devil eye thing, which is definitely Rakdar. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I could agree with that. <laughs> I think it would be cool to see a blue-black counter spell. Um, mm -hmm. Something along the lines of you shall not pass or none shall pass or something that counters a spell at the cost of you sacrificing a creature. Because that's kind of what happens. Spoilers. Okay. In the film, spoilers <laughs> for Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of potential for a lot of tribes to be supported orcs uh goblins yeah well that 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 brings back to the question of what what tribes do they want to support mm -hmm. in terms of the format that it's going to be played in spirits exactly spirits humans good, yeah. yeah humans would probably be the biggest one mm -hmm. uh and then obviously like elves and dwarves and yeah you know, i mean I'm, yeah there's, there's just so many there's isn't so there? many there's there's um, so much that they could do Anyway, so since the last episode, we have had two sessions of Commander, um, as per normal. We usually have two FNMs in between each episode. Uh, so the first session, uh, I believe we only played one game, didn't we? Um, it was quite a long game. It was game. quite a long game, yeah. yeah. If I remember correctly, it was the first time Maddie played with her new deck, Alayla. Yes. Uh, yep. Layla, the artful provocateur. We ended up buying the brawl preconstructed and upgraded it to a commander, basically. Which, by the way, has has the smothering tithe in it, which is weird. 
Really good. Really good, because yeah. the deck costs £20, and Smothering <laughs> yeah. Tithe costs about £32. <laughs> and I'm like, is there a way to just make infinite money here? <laughs> Have we cheated the system? But yeah, so it comes with a copy of Smothering Tithe, which is insane. Um, but yeah, we bought that deck, we upgraded it, and it was the first time she played Alayla, which is the Esper Brawl Precon. Um, I played her Vampires deck, Olivia, which ended up being the winner. Yes, winner. <laughs> Josh, you played... I was playing Bant Flicker with Rune. Yes. And Yorian. You were playing the Rint, Rint Rune Flicker. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah, you playing Atraxa? No, is this when I played Rin and Seri? I think yes. it was, because I kept threatening Sally to steal your Rin and Seri. That was that game, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember now. Uh, and then Jordan was playing his Golgari one. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it obviously five player game took a long time. It took about three hours. I New think. decks and New deck. You, I know you know the Olivia deck, but it's not your deck, so I suppose it yeah, just takes it was, a little yeah, bit. there's still a bit more to do with it. Yeah, it it was a good good game. Quite a quite a lot of moments though. Yeah, I think one of them was how I nearly died to Sarah. <sighs> yes, you would did you like nearly to talk die. about this? Well, I'm still <laughs> angry about it. Two weeks on. Because <laughs> Sarah's like. I feel like it's just it's just a nice deck. It doesn't like it's a good deck, but you know it doesn't match up very well against everybody's really powerful decks. Yeah. And it was going to. I had loads of creatures. I was gonna kill you, and then someone else, Josh, <laughs> came with the set of the wreckage and exiled all of my creatures. Yeah, and you can't, you didn't really bounce back from there. No. Always got to play around set of the wreckage. Come on. Come on. What are you a noob? <laughs> against? Yes, if I was swinging at you, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, so Sarah would have taken me out entirely, and I was like, "Hey, Josh." That's the best oh, it ever done. Yeah, yeah, it, I, I, it didn't even help me. No, <laughs> to it do didn't, because I'm pretty I sure after that I then really made everybody it. else get you out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, interesting. interesting. This game. is uh, actually, I think, also something that I've observed in our commander games, which I think puts me in particular as a player at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that quite a lot of the table will make revenge plays like if you answer a threat they will push back harder on you uh, and actually i'm susceptible to this as well uh and and even when there is clearly a better mm. play to make so in the last game that we played for example sam stole my panharmonicon yeah mm. and i had two choices on my turn i could either bounce the panharmonicon back to my hand and then carry on with my turn or I could board wipe, and I knew that Sarah had completely set up her engine, yeah. and that I needed to board wipe. But I thought, well, Sam stole my panharmonicon, yeah. so <laughs> I don't want it to get any value out of it. And I think the saltiness from that decision meant that I, I valued bouncing the panharmonicon more. And yeah. then you actually went on to have a huge turn and knock me out of the game. So mm-hmm. like all three of us out. In all three of us yeah. out in one turn. Yeah. Uh, and if I had just board wiped then, which I knew was the right decision, I chose to go with the revenge the decision, decision instead, yeah. uh, then you uh, you wouldn't have been able to wipe me out. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, that's something I've been thinking about. I think that whilst I made that decision there, uh, or I don't know whether I, uh, whether I do or don't go for the salty revenge play well, over the best play. Uh, I but think I, I think that we you all should. do or don't. I think we all do both. I think you should just focus. Like, I think there should be more of a focus on. I don't know how much of how much should you focus on winning the game versus 
Well, that particular situation is hard because you can't, you couldn't actually tell if Sarah was going to win the game. She had. But she did have everything. She had a combo, an enhancer, and a sack outlet. Yeah. She did have enough to, like, w- like really easily kill us, but, like... We, we could see on her board that every creature she sacked made everybody lose four life. Yeah. yeah. And that she had a bunch of afterlife creatures. This that... was when she was playing Taysa and yes, not Rin and Sarah. It's a different was, deck, yeah, yes. Different game. Different game. Um, and we, we should have seen that. I, well, and I did have the answer, and I intended to answer it, but I thought I could get one more turn mm. uh, to do it. Uh, but actually, when it came around to my turn, I was already so low on life that if I had board wiped would have lost anyway because of all the, yeah all of all my triggers. creatures would have um yeah well, what do you guys think how important is it in commander to uh like when somebody makes a play against you do you bite back against that player is that kind of back and forth better for the game or is it better to just for everybody to just focus on playing good magic well, you have to you have to evaluate on the fact that the fact that you spent your turn stealing back that panharmonicon, you don't actually know what I had in my hand to make value out of that. Mm-hmm. And if I tell you if I tell you now, I didn't have anything. Mm. <laughs> I had nothing. I had no ECVs that would actually benefit off that. I just thought maybe I could get yeah. one. Were you were hoping to steal stuff from was, Josh's yeah. graveyard, weren't you? Was that the yes? That's it? true. Yeah. I was planning. I was playing rogues. So I was planning to steal um, him and then steal things from the graveyard, which mm-hmm. would have worked. But yeah, like. It, you have to assess if that was more threatening than what anyone else was doing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. So how would you, how do you guys approach the game? Do you think it's better to just focus on playing good magic or to play the, the wider meta game on top of that? Oh. I don't think there's one answer. I think it depends who you're playing against. Because mm. yeah. we're all like quite close, we can have that like banter, for lack of a better word, where... You know, Jordan destroyed Maddie's artifact, mm-hmm. like mana rock artifact on turn on two. turn two. But for, yeah. for no, like that was not yeah, that, a good play. That was that was, so that was a waste yeah. of a destroy artifact. And then spell. she she ended up yeah, and she wanted to win the game then. She did yeah. yeah. That was her first mm-hmm. win in our play group yeah. with a brand new deck. And I think he did that just because he could and just because it was he funny. Had else but to do. I think yeah. if he was playing. No, is there competitive commander or just maybe yeah. CEDH? Okay, so I don't think he would have. Yeah, in, in a CEDH way. match, that would not have happened. He would have <laughs> kept it in his hand, thinking, okay, at some point there'll be something that's worth destroying. Be a, yeah, there'll be a better time. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I destroyed the turn two arcane signet. Yeah, like yeah. literally by the end, by the time it got back to his turn, there was at least one better mm-hmm. target on the board. Yeah, the, you, so you play panharmonicon. <laughs> it depends how you want to play. I think both can be correct for the person. I think though that so speaking of that play. Uh, and of some others that I think uh, were made. Uh, we talked quite a few weeks ago about um, how much help you give new players mm. and how maybe you help them with their assessment but don't actually help them with their decisions. Uh, and I think that we all could... I think that's still best. Help them with their assessment of what's going on but don't actually help them with their decisions at all. I think we should hold that a bit more more sacred than we do. Mm-hmm. Like that decision, we all said, well, you'll probably have a better target next turn. Maybe you shouldn't do that. We shouldn't have. Mm. Maybe we'd say, that's not very threatening. But that's it. That's the limit you took. Yeah. Uh, and then also, um, uh, there was a point in the game where... But then uh, it gets to the point where where do you draw that line of being like, what if I knew that you were going to play... Well, not knew that you were going to play a really good artifact, but mm. what if like, oh, wait, Jordan... Maybe you should hold on to it in case someone plays like 
I don't know, a panharmonicon or something. Um, yeah. Like, that would benefit me if Maybe you destroyed that question, instead. Maybe it's a question, though. Maybe it's a, why have you destroyed this mana rock? Mm. Like, because yeah. then he can answer that. And if he says, oh, I don't know, something to do, then he's not given any thought to what's going on, which is absolutely but, fine. Yeah, that, that's okay. <laughs> like, I, so there was another point where um, somebody cast a flame sweep and what we all ended up saying at the table was, there's not enough targets for that, take it back. Take it back, yeah. yeah. And then they did. Why, like, once the spell that, is cast, shouldn't we be allowing it? That was more that because of um, the fact that he the was, was Yeah, video. so I think, yeah. not that we should make different allowances, but he thought there were more targets, maybe that's how we need to play better with a remote player. Yeah. yeah so I think, yeah. in that the... instance, we were right to say, take it back. But if he was at the table, mm-hmm. I don't think he would have been right. Because at the table, you can see. And we have cameras and stuff, and we make the best of it. But you, he can't see everybody's yeah. board at yeah, all times. All the time. I think that it might be me being like grumpy, a, a grumpy <laughs> old boomer player. Uh-huh. But I think we need to stick to the rules and the pacing of the game more strictly in Commander. Well, that, that's, that's the uh, thing. Like, that whether... was a special exception because of the fact that he's a remote player. Yeah. I think... but, but then there's also, like, even when we go into combat in Commander, when we go into combat, mm. we will often, like, one thing that we do at our tables is you choose someone, you choose what you're yeah. swinging at them, you resolve all that damage. Then you choose someone else. And you yeah, which we should. Which we should. We should go through the phase combat of declare all time. attackers. Yeah. Combat happens at the same time. Resolve all triggers at the right time. Because I actually think that, well, I think that that's how commander should be played. You know, mm. irrespective of. When you're sat at a table, you can do whatever you want, and I, I don't actually think that there is a right way to play Commander. Uh, people can play it however they want, mm-hmm. but I think that it would be long-term better for newer players, uh, for more experienced players to not not be, you know, uh, pointlessly sort of um, pedantic about the rules, but to enforce the rules. Mm. Mm. Uh, I don't think we've ever, speaking of this, because you're speaking of something specific in that last game, I don't think that we've ever actually said, oh, by the way, you have to attack everybody at the same time. And if you don't know that, it, it makes kind of, sense yeah. to attack each person yeah. differently. Yeah, because, for you to track it all. Yeah. It's a little but, easier. And I don't think we've ever actually mm-hmm. explicitly said, by the way, when you attack one or four people you're attacking, it all happens at the same time. You have to decide at the same time. Mm. What do you think? of having one person this is i've just thought of this idea i don't know if this oh, is even <laughs> what do you think of having one person in a commander game uh especially when you've got like a couple of less experienced players at the table what do you think of having one person to be like a uh, a judge adjudicator <laughs> and giver of advice okay do they not so, so they don't play they don't play they watch the game I mean, unless I, you want to do it. I think, I think we maybe, I think it would be better if there was a way that they could play. So I don't think we need a judge. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we need. I that. think that would take the so fun out of it. We build a group hug deck, and the adjudicator plays the group hug. No, deck. I know. I don't. They give mana to people when they need it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just need a thing. Maybe it's not even a person. Maybe you use just a thing where you can go. Oh, I'm not really sure what I can do with these cards. Can somebody come and look? Because mm. I don't think it's fun to have somebody just sit there and watch mm. people play magic. And I don't think we need a judge <laughs> to be like, you know, come, we can yeah, figure that, that out. Yeah, that would definitely take the fun out of it, I think. Well, judges do it. 
but that's but people don't play competitive magic for fun only i feel like we, we're not competitive when we play commander we're yeah. just doing it for fun it's friday night magic yeah yes yeah. this is the question how casual is it it's very casual isn't it we're not playing for money or anything Oh God, no, yeah, it, it is like <laughs> of course we when we when we play on FNM, it is it is properly casual magic. But how casual is it? Like, how far will we go to bend and stretch rules and it, not play? Uh, yeah, I think we could be stricter with the rules. I think the reason why we we do these things and we we sort of bend the rules a little is in the spirit of fun. Yeah, and uh, I know. For example, when Maddie won on Friday, I was helping her a fair amount, but I knew that. I could tell that she was, there's so much that she had to yeah. do and she was getting stressed out mm-hmm. and I was like this doesn't look fun like this is a brand new deck yeah and there's so much to like it, it doesn't look fun to have to think about this all yourself so I was trying to help her and that's that's where we kind of yeah that's sort of the reason why we do these sort of rule bends I think when when you think about them it all bends boils down to like being helpful being helpful and, and, and having an enjoyable game like if he cast that flame sweep that would have been terrible for him yeah and he probably would have been far behind and, and he would have been like oh and yes. he wouldn't have enjoyed it but I think that that is um, uh, not con- like so. Nobody does that with us, for example. Yeah. Uh, and that's not because we don't make bad decisions. It's because we. Yeah, but we're you know, the ones we, that do we, the we... questioning, and we don't question each other. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't. We we. Sh- I think we should simply treat other players with the same respect. Like if if say somebody okay. a, a new player has a turn where they're really overwhelmed, you just let them play it out. Because that is, like, that's, maybe okay. they don't see it, maybe they make a mistake, fine. You know, we're in, like, we, we play Magic pretty consistently, often. Uh, and I don't think that helping somebody through a turn because they're struggling with it helps them to, like, that's not them playing Magic. Mm. That's not playing Magic. Magic is all about, like playing cards sometimes your deck runs really simply sometimes you find a really difficult complex interaction you're like oh my god this is this is crazy um maybe they play a card they play a card the next turn and we all say ah if you would have done that in the other order you'd get this extra value Mm. and they'd be ah okay that's good point yeah and and, uh but i I don't think that we uh i I think that we should help less really Mm, i think we should help less uh, and you know, I don't know. I don't know whether that is right. Whether that is the right approach. That's the approach I would take because ultimately, um, maybe somebody has more fun because you've helped them with a turn. They will have more fun long term playing Magic if they know how to play Magic, if they're better at Magic, and they get better by by having to play by themselves. Okay. I think it needs to be it led depends. by the player. Yeah. I think what it boils down to, what it really boils down to, is that it's absolutely fine uh, and encouraged to answer questions. Yeah. But not to offer answers when there is no question. Mm. Well, that's the thing, like, she, is, she did ask questions during, like, for example, that turn. Like, she was asking, like, which which, like, which, which creature do I need to get rid of? Because there's a cruel celebrant, there's the veto, and there's yeah. the taser. Like, she, she, yeah, so actually, one, one, one example there... Um, and that is a good example is mm. uh, is that a part of that turn maddie did ask you know how am i losing four life each time a creature dies mm-hmm. and we went through okay so you're losing the life because of cruel celebrant's effect mm. that's doubling because of tace's effect mm. uh, then you're losing another two because of veto's effect mm. and what a great deck <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and 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 that's how you're getting to that four and then 
she went like she she had that information and then she went on to ask all right so which one do i get rid of to stop it mm. um so she's been given all the information and she still isn't sure how to stop the combo so then we say probably cruel celebrant because without that there is no effect to double yeah uh cruel celebrant's effect is is improved enhanced by tasers and vetoes so you kind of cut it off at the stem and we know the answer to that uh, another player might struggle to reach that same conclusion, make that same assessment. Mm. Uh, and so what we've done there is they've asked a question, we've provided an assessment and left the decision to them. Mm. They've then directly asked what the answer is and then we provide it. Mm. I think that that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think there's any harm done in giving them the answer in that scenario because... Well, no, someone think... asked the question, they yeah. don't know the answer. Because like, we are just playing for fun. Yeah. You're going to go... I'm not figure telling it out. You. Yeah, you're not going to go like it's. It's that's ultimately it's offering information before it's asked, and that's what we need to stop doing. Yes. Yeah. They can ask as many questions, and we will answer them mm -hmm. and give them all the information they need. Because why wouldn't we? But mm. offering the information before they've asked it, or they may not have even go been asking it. And I think that another part of it is, you know, it's much quicker to just show somebody how to play a deck. Like they've got the cards in their hand, you're looking over the shoulder, you tell them how to play it. But it's much better for them to try and play it, maybe they hit it, or they, they do it, and then they feel great, they've mm -hmm. done it and they did it themselves. Uh, maybe they don't, they fuck it up, they miss the combo, they miss the trigger. Um, it's a language. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then the next week, they come back, we do a deck swap, they see you pull it off. Mm. Uh, that is a, that creates a moment that they will remember and they, mm -hmm. will, like, they will actually learn, as opposed to uh, kind of a, just, just giving like just telling them what to do so i think yes i i think we're actually all on the same page yeah that we we uh, when you're playing commander with or when you're playing really anything and i think this goes for anything in life mm -hmm. uh when you're playing or, or when you're doing something with somebody who's less experienced be receptive and open to questions but try not to question everything that they yeah. do yeah try not to uh like of course we got a rem we technically all have a responsibility as players to remind them of triggers um, mm -hmm. Maintaining the state of we the game. We forget our own triggers. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but maintaining the state of the game. If there is a trigger yeah. which is not optional, it's every player's responsibility to remember yeah. that trigger. In a professional tournament, if say uh, a creature died and you missed a life gain trigger, mm. um, we would all be penalised for that because it's all of, all our, of our responsibilities to make sure that that happens. It reminds um, me of. Um... So I'll let you finish. But, yeah. I was just going to say, like, same with like, if you forgot to draw a card at the start of your, your yeah. turn, it's not an optional decision. No, you have so to do it. So it's everybody's responsibility yeah. to make sure that you do it. Um, but beyond what's actually required of you, like essential triggers, we probably should not. Mm -hmm. like, we should take a step back. We should take a step away and let them play the game. You said? I was going to say, it just reminded me of a funny chess story of um, how Magnus Carlsen once lost due to disqualification because it was... It was like a blitz game, and it was really low on time. It's like two seconds left. And what he did was he checked his opponent, and his opponent didn't do anything about the check and made an illegal move. But because of the time pressure, Magnus then also made an illegal move. Oh. So, so because of that, the opponent was like, "No, illegal move, you lose." It's like, wait, but you made it as well. And it's really scummy. So shouldn't they both lose? No, because he what? made the most recent one, and he called <sighs> it out. I know it's shame. really scummy, isn't it? Oh, that is. It just it, it just reminded me of that for some reason. I just thought I'd share it. Um, but yeah, so scummy. That's awful. Yeah. Because he thought, like, I'm going to lose this game, let me just try and cheese it. It's not a way to win. <laughs> there are some funny rules in chess. Like, uh, I read about a game where 
if you accidentally, if you touch your king, mm-hmm. uh, then or if so in in high level chess, if you touch a piece, you uh, then you have yeah. to yeah you have to move it. So there was a game where um, like it was very early on in the game, and a guy accidentally touched his king. And he only had one legal square to move it to, so he had to move it there, and then he was checkmated. Oh, uh, that's and it was a really game. silly checkmate. It, like, what if you? It was what like if your king is four. surrounded, and you can't? If you legally yeah, can't yeah, move it. then then, then you, you can't. Yeah, you. So you can touch a piece that that has no legal moves, but if you touch a piece and it has a legal move, you, you have, have to, to move it. it. You have to make that move. Uh, which is, I think it's, I think it's, it's, I don't get what that rule stops. Mm-hmm. What does that, what, Fun. what does that, yeah, what does that stop? In, in magic, you, there are no such rules yeah. and you can even like bluff. There was like that, um, uh, there was that game. I can't remember the game. I can't remember the players, but there was a, a high level pro game where, um, interesting anecdote. Cause, uh, you'll see. Um, uh, Me specifically, somebody was or... playing like mono white aggro back in the legions landing days oh, yes. um, and so they had a flipped either. legions landing which i think makes vampires right yeah so somebody uh, so they went so the, they were gonna lose the opponent went to their attack phase and so uh the guy with the legions landing what's it called the, the flip side. Uh, Adanto the first four. Adanto the first four. So the op- on the table, he had Adanto the first four. He could tap it, tap some mana, make a 1-1. One, one. Mm. So he goes and reaches for a token. Like at the beginning of combat, he goes and reaches for a 1-1 one, one token from, <laughs> uh, from the side. And so the opponent, seeing him reaching for this 1-1 one, one token, attacks all their creatures. And then he puts yeah. the token back and plays a settler wreckage. Oh my god! Oh. And so he goaded like with going for that token, goads <laughs> his opponent into attacking That's with everything. Cool. Right, guys, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Top Deck Insight. We would love any feedback you have. We've been your hosts. That's it. Yeah, we'll see you on the next one, guys. Thank you very Bye. much. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>